Thanks for listening to The Leader, the Evening Standard's daily news podcast, bringing you the best of our analysis and commentary. Please like, subscribe, share and comment wherever you get your podcasts from. Now, from The Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Huge crowds have filled the streets of Tehran as Iran mourns the death of General Qasem Soleimani and Donald Trump is doubling down on his threats. Is there a way out of this crisis without conflict? This can either get much worse, which nobody wants, or this can be a, a pivot point. This can be a moment when the relationship can change. The former chair of the UK's Foreign Affairs Committee, Tom Tugendhat, has written for The Standard and speaks to the leader about the options for the Middle East. Also, 12-year-olds, who, I mean, that's an extraordinary young age to be sent to a school where basically you're like in a day-release prison. Our investigations editor, David Cohen, on his special report showing how England's system for dealing with disruptive school pupils is pushing many into crime. And He had a, had a pot shot of quite a few people in that kind of opening seven minutes, many of whom were were sat in in the audience (laughs) grimacing. (laughs) Ricky Gervais shocked Hollywood with his Golden Globes gags, but our Deputy Features editor Phoebe Luckhurst says it was the UK's acting talent that really stole the show. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, we're next for the Middle East. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. With thousands listening in the streets of Tehran and millions said to be watching, Iran's supreme leader Ayatollah Khamenei wept over the coffin of General Qasem Soleimani. He led the prayers for the man Iran considers a hero, but the US denounced as a terrorist and killed in a targeted strike in Baghdad. The move is threatening to destabilise the Middle East, but writing in The Standard today, the former chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Tom Tugendhat, says ridding the world of a source of violence could mark a turning point. Mr Tugendhat joins me now. And Is there a way to resolve this crisis without conflict? Yes, there is. Because actually, given the importance of uh, Major General Soleimani 
to the Iranian foreign policy of sponsoring groups and, uh, and, and boosting individuals in various regimes around the Middle East. His death actually gives an opportunity not just to change uh, the leader of the Quds Force, the Special Forces Unit of the Revolutionary Guard, but actually also to change the policy. And there is a, there is a chance, and I admit it's only a chance, that some of those sponsored groups, groups like perhaps Hezbollah, might see that their advantage lies more in becoming a properly Lebanese group rather than a satellite of the Iranian regime. And maybe even the Iranian regime will realise that uh, the policy that they have followed for the best part of the last 30, 40 years of sponsoring um, different militias and even terrorist organisations around the world has not led to the success they would wish. And as their people are now forgetting the Shah and remembering the revolution uh, alone and beginning to rise up against it, maybe this is a moment for them to think again. In your article in The Standard today, you talk about the influence of General Soleimani and how it may seem such a very far, uh, far away, the, the Middle East and Iran, but actually General Soleimani's work impacted here and lots of other places in Europe too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we know that Iranian-linked groups were stockpiling explosives in northwest London. Now, we don't know what the target was, but the very fact that it was here in the UK is extremely concerning. We also know that the Iranian government even today is putting huge pressure on journalists operating freely, whether through the BBC Persian Service or indeed other uh, news agencies here in the UK. So we know that the reach from Tehran is a lot further than many would appreciate. And so that's why, yes, this feels distant on some level, but actually it's, it's very much about the liberties that we enjoy here in the UK as well. Boris Johnson teamed up with Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron to release a statement calling for de-escalation. Does that trio of very powerful politicians in Europe have influence on Donald Trump, though? Well, I think that trio is an important trio. I mean, how how, how important it is to the President of the United States? Well, it depends on the moment and it depends in, in, in the, on the circumstances. But it is an important trio. And it's certainly important if, for example, the United States wanted to change the sanctions regime or wanted to uh, have greater leverage in the region, because, of course, those three uh, have a very important say in um, the trade policy towards many countries in the Middle East. The de-escalation is possible, but it means working with countries like Oman and Qatar and Kuwait, who have good relationships uh, with the Iranian regime and, and, and looking at how we can engage so that we use this, as I say, as a pivot point rather than uh, simply uh, the end, edge of a cliff. But looking at the scenes in Tehran today at the funeral, there's a lot of extremely angry people in that country. There must actually be pressure on the Iranian government to take what the public there would see as decisive action. Well, I'm sure there is amongst a certain element, but what's noticeable about that group is, you know, as 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 we've seen in many uh, large crowd gatherings, the 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 organisers claim a rather higher number than the uh, than, than 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 the reality. If you look at the analysis done by uh, several different groups, actually, you can see that the numbers are not that great. They're in the uh, about a hundred thousand, uh, which is, of course, still a big crowd. But when you realise that many of that crowd were students and shopkeepers pressed into uh, marching, um, I think one can take the numbers with a pinch of salt. Now, that doesn't mean that, of course, there isn't 
national pride in Iran. Of course there is. And some pressure to react is real. But there are different ways of reacting. We need to show the not just the Iranians, but, uh, but others around the region that this can either get much worse, which nobody wants, or this can be a, a pivot point. This can be a moment when the relationship can change. Because actually, Iran has a hugely important place in the modern world. It has a hugely important place in the global community. And we should be looking for opportunities to bring them in. And I think, uh, in a rather surprising fashion, this this may be one. And you can read more from Tom Tugendhat in the Evening Standard or online at standard.co.uk. Next. They got introduced to a life of crime, to stealing, to taking drugs, to seeing young people with knives, and that became totally normalised for them. Investigations editor David Cohen's been looking at what happens when disruptive pupils are permanently excluded from school. Over the last six months, the Evening Standard has been examining the damage caused by permanently excluding pupils from school. Our reporting shows a huge surge in the numbers affected over the last eight years and reveals how that figure is connected to young boys ending up in prison and knife crime increases in London. Our editorial column says the findings are alarming. Today, the Evening Standard begins a major investigation into a crisis which is destroying young lives, fueling drug crime and bringing knife violence to our streets. It shows how the system lets down children who end up in pupil referral units, the last resort alternative to school. Instead of helping them escape troubled lives, these units are often a one-way route to disaster. The cost of running them is huge and the price society pays for the consequences is even higher. It would be simple to blame the way the units are run, but it's the system which is broken, leaving them to deal with the consequences. The rise in school exclusions in England is in part because schools want to protect their place in results league tables. Our report finds that children who often did well at primary school find themselves locked out of the secondary system for bad behaviour, with no hope of returning to it. Is there a better way of dealing with it? We think there is. The investigation has been carried out by our investigations editor, David Cohen. And David, what you've revealed here is a system that doesn't work. Yes, it's, um, this is a, an investigation six months in the making. Um, it came out of our look at uh, youth violence and knife crime, and we realised one of the factors at the cause, at the heart of all this, is the system for sending all the kids who behave badly in a borough to one school called a pupil referral unit, a PRU, or otherwise known as AP, Alternative Provision. Many experts are now realising that this connection is fueling knife crime and also fueling the supply, the recruitment to the pernicious county, county lines network of drug dealing, where young people are sometimes in school for only a couple of hours a day and then they get picked off by gang leaders to go and sell drugs, you know, in places of far afield, you know, as Brighton and Devon and Cornwall. You've spoken to several young people who have been through the, the PRU system. What did they tell you about how it's not working? So there is a range of PRUs. Firstly, there are some that are doing a much better job than others. The sad fact, though, is that 
1.6% of young people who go to a PRU end up getting a good pass in GCSE, English and Maths. And 4% get a basic pass, which means that 96% fail these subjects entirely. A PRU costs between 18 and 24,000 pounds per student per year, which is equivalent to the cost of a private school. And it is extraordinary that those are the results that we're getting. This is a system that is to blame. Often the PRUs are doing the best job they can at the end of a failed system. Now, we spoke to several young people whose uh, testimonies we report today, including two 12-year-olds. Who, I mean, that's an extraordinary young age to be sent to a school where basically you're like in a day release prison. And these students told us how it felt to be in a PRU where you have much reduced learning opportunities, your subjects much reduced, people coming in to the PRU in the middle of lessons, hugely disruptive, and very few making it back to mainstream school. And we also spoke to two young women who told us how they, by the time they got to a PRU, they had never been involved in drugs or knives or anything like that. They got introduced to that when they got to the PRU. They got introduced to, to, to a life of crime, to stealing, to taking drugs, to seeing young people with knives and, and, and stashing them in, the, in, the, in, in, in places near the PRU. And that became totally normalized for them. But youth crime is such a difficult, such a complicated issue, incredibly hard to solve. Does it work anywhere? Are there similar systems anywhere that are doing better? Well, that is that is the big um, excitement of actually doing this investigation is that we have found, firstly in Glasgow, but also in London, certain schools that are leading an inclusions revolution. So tomorrow we will report on a school in London that is doing this. But today I can say that we went up to Glasgow and we looked at the system there where they decided 10 years ago they have a huge problem with, with youth violence and they decided to abolish permanent exclusions as far as possible. There is still one uh, school that's the equivalent of a PRU because you can't abolish it entirely. But their mantra was all behavior is communication. And what they've done is looked much like we do when a child has a, a, a learning disability or is autistic, we look behind the behavior to see what is the issue that needs support. When it comes to bad behavior in mainstream schools, the attitude tends to be zero tolerance and they get sent off to approve. In Glasgow, they changed all that. They reduced permanent exclusions to zero. They reduced fixed-term exclusions. Those are the period. Those are the fixed-period exclusions where children get sent home for a week or a few days. They reduced that by 87%, and the concomitant result was a reduction in violent crime of 50%. So, what about those parents whose children are in a class with a disruptive? pupil or a pupil that they consider to be a bad influence, they might want that child to be excluded, to be taken out of the school. Now, that's a very good point, and, and that we make that key point in our reporting today, that the, the way that they deal with exclusion and inclusion in Glasgow and in London, in the schools that are starting to 
to change the way they tackle exclusion is to take these children that are disruptive and putting them into a separate, discrete inclusion unit on the site of the mainstream school, but separate from the children in the mainstream class and saying, instead of banishing these children, they need more support. They need more one-to-one and extra support, and we will return them to the mainstream class as and when they're ready. And in the school that we look at tomorrow, they've been successful in doing so in 100% of the cases, returning them to the mainstream. And as you say, there's more on this story coming out tomorrow. This is something we're going to be following for some time, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's a subject that we're going to get our teeth into, and we launched today with five pages plus an editorial in today's paper. David's special report is in the Evening Standard, or you can read it online. Now... The Golden Globes are meant to honour the best of Hollywood, but with Britain's Ricky Gervais as host, they so often mock the worst. His opening monologue took shots at Joe Pesci for looking like Baby Yoda, made a somewhat crude reference to Dame Judi Dench and Cats, and referenced the Me Too movement, ISIS, and the death of Jeffrey Epstein. Our deputy features editor, Phoebe Luckhouse, was up all night watching the Golden Globes, sort of, <laughs> not just checking it out on the internet. But Phoebe, I think we have to start with Ricky Gervais. Now, we knew what we were going to get, but he certainly delivered it, didn't he? Oh, he did. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You do always know with Ricky Gervais that it's going to be quite a sort of incendiary, deliberately inflammatory act. But I think this year he really went for the kind of the nihilism, who's saying this is the last year I'm going to do it, so I'm really just going to just blow this out of the water. And he he had a had a pot shot of quite a few people in that kind of opening seven minutes, many of whom were were sat in in the audience <laughs> grimacing. Yeah, there's already a meme, isn't there, of, of Tom Hanks and his expressions. There is lovely Tom Hanks, really not <laughs> not quite enjoying what Ricky's saying. I mean, you could see that there was there were some people who were laughing, maybe sincerely. There was a lot of nervous laughter, and there were a lot of faces that you know practically kind of head. Head in hands. But a great night for, for British uh, actresses, wasn't it? Absolutely. Queen Phoebe Waller-Bridge <laughs> triumphs again. <laughs> Will there ever be an award she doesn't win? Um, yeah, no, it was a great night. I think, you know, the last year in, in film and especially television for Brits, kind of actors and actresses and directors, writers, etc., has been a really brilliant one. It's quite nice to have someone like Olivia Colman come up there, someone who's, who's really talented. And she does give such lovely speeches with so much humility. You know, the kind of can't believe I'm up here had a few drinks because I didn't expect to win. And it, it did remind me of the brilliant kind of Oscar speech from last year where she just went up and was clearly completely shell-shocked that she'd won. And it's, it is actually lovely. I think moments like that are, are genuinely quite heartwarming. And that's the leader. Why not try out our audio news bulletins through your smart speaker? There's one delivered every weekday at 7am. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back with news, analysis and commentary tomorrow afternoon at 4. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.